This is the second and final talk from Bill Page to the Young Life staff in the Carolinas region about marriage and singleness. He titled it, Lessons from Uncle Bill. yesterday a little bit and and one of the things I guess as I've gotten older uh, at camp kids call me Uncle Bill. Look at your neighbor say neighbor. neighbor. He, ain't he ain't my daddy but he could be my uncle <laughs> and uh, I have really grown to, to love that term so if I were going to put a title on this and I never put titles on messages I would call it uh, lessons from Uncle Bill and uh, so this is the Carolinas region and, and all of that stuff and uh, there's a guy who I, I use many times in my crosstalk to start my crosstalk off with. And his name is Jack Lucas. And he is from Plymouth, North Carolina. Anybody know where that is? Anybody? Okay, just one person. <laughs> two. Two people know where Plymouth, North Carolina is. about 152 miles from here. Uh, he was born on um, uh, Valentine's Day in 1928. Valentine's Day is the day that represents love. Okay, and then 13 years later, uh, he, he's a real big kid, 13 years later, we went to war with Japan after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Maybe some of you heard me tell the story before. Uh, Jack was incensed that anyone would dare to attack our nation. But there was nothing he could do about it as a 13-year-old. But he was a pretty big 13-year-old, so he waited until he was 14 years old, found the birth certificate, forged it, and joined the United States Marine Corps. Went to Paris Island down in South Carolina in Buford and, and, and made it through boot camp, made it through advanced infantry training, and he was sent over to Hawaii, and there he was working in Hawaii for the Marine Corps, uh, with the Marine Corps rather, uh, loading ships that were going over to fight in the Pacific. I guess the Marines found out, maybe his mom sent out a, a missing person report, I don't know how they came to find out who he was, but they told him, you're too young, you can't go to war. And here's what he told him, he said, if you don't allow me to go to war with the Marines. He says, I'll go back home, I'll get another birth certificate, I'll forge it and I'll join another branch of the military. I wanna fight for my nation. And so they saw that they couldn't dissuade him, so they said, okay, here's what you can do. You can stay in the Marines, but you can't go to war. He said, great. Two weeks later, he stows away on a ship going over to fight in the Pacific. The people on the ship don't know who he is. If you're missing uh, for 30 days during war, you're classified as a deserter and you can be executed. He wasn't a deserter, he wasn't a coward, he wanted to fight for our nation. And um, so he comes out of hiding two weeks out. The people on the ship have no idea who he is. They just know he's a Marine that wants to fight and they assign him to one of these units uh, that storm the beaches. Now he has no idea where the ship is going, but it's on its way to Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima, 7,000 Marines lost their lives there. And, and they, thousands of more were, were wounded. And uh, for those of you who've never been in the military, you've never been in harm's way, when you're in combat, you're not really fighting for your nation at that time. You're fighting for the person to your left and the person to your right. And you're doing all you can to live. And so they storm the beaches of Iwo Jima and, and all kind of craziness is taking place. And, and Jack ends up in a fighting hole with a couple of other Marines. And some Japanese soldiers begin to come in on this, on this fighting hole and two Japanese soldiers take two hand grenades and throw them into the hole where Jack is. 
Jack is the only one that sees the hand grenades. And so he takes his rifle butt and he jams one of the grenades down under this volcanic sand, and he grabs the other one and he pulls it under himself. He lays on top of both grenades, and as a result, both grenades explode. And it saves the lives of those other Marines. Now, if those other Marines lived through that, I wonder what they thought. I wonder what they thought when they looked at their uniform, possibly, and there was blood on their uniform, but that blood did not belong to them. But it belonged to Jack Lucas. I wonder what they would think years after, every time they heard the word Jack, every time they heard the word Lucas. I wonder how, if that would warm their hearts and they would remember the sacrifice that this young man made for them. I wonder. I wonder if they lived long enough for the military channel to be on and we're watching documentaries and they would flash back to Iwo Jima and they would remember the time they were in that battle. I wonder. And as a result, Jack Lucas was awarded, a lot of people say you win the Congressional Medal of Honor, but he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor and you never say you win it because there's not a competition. It's something that you get for doing something above and beyond the call of duty. By God's incredible grace, Jack Lucas died in the year 2008. He lived through both of those explosions. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Dang. And so maybe you say, well, Bill, why do you tell us this story? Because the Bible says, Jesus speaking, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then he says of you and I, and I call you my friends if you do what I command you. The greatest demonstration of love would be willing to lay down your life for your friends, and Jesus did that on the cross. And when we were called to follow Jesus, we knew a lot of information that the disciples who followed him originally did not know. When we began to follow Jesus, we knew ultimately he would die on the cross. They didn't know that. But he just simply said, come on and follow me. And he brought <laughs> this ragamuffin bunch of folks who the Bible later on would say, these folks are going to turn the world upside down. And one of my favorite characters is a guy named Peter. And in Luke 5, in the 8th chapter, when Peter and Jesus go fishing and they catch all of those fish, Peter comes to a realization that he's in the presence of someone much greater than himself. And, and he says to Jesus, get away from me. And maybe some of you have heard me talk about this before, but this verse has become very, very important to me. Get away from me, he says. I'm sinful. I think the unspoken words by Peter would be, man, if you really knew what I was like, you wouldn't, want, you wouldn't want me around you. And you know what Jesus could have said? He could have said, you have no idea how sinful you really are. Jesus could have said, repent, you sinner, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said none of those things. He just simply said, put the net down, pick up your cross. Come on, follow me, and I'll teach you to catch men. And maybe on the greatest day of his fishing life, he drops everything to follow Jesus. And so maybe for ourselves, what is the Lord maybe asking us to put down? This is a self-assessment time. But you know what? Maybe there are things in your life, my life, that God goes, you know what? You need to let go of that. Maybe that gets in the way of you following me. Maybe that gets in the way and it's a hindrance to you. Maybe it's something that causes your light and my light to flicker a little bit. 
And so I, I, I love God. I don't understand his ways. The Bible says his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far his ways and thoughts are removed from ours. God never does things the way that we would do it. God doesn't look at things the way that we would. Maybe we would tell Peter to get his act together before he decided to follow. But I think maybe the unspoken words here was that you hang out with me, you get close enough to me, some of that stuff in your life is going to change. And, and I encourage you with these words, folks. If you get close to Jesus, things will change. My 38 years of serving the Lord, uh, there are times that I've been close to him and I've watched him change, and then there were times that I was afar from him. And, and I want us to think about that. Sometimes we get it twisted. One of the things that I found out is that, and God had to show me this, and Peter got it kind of twisted too, when he had been empowered, he had been anointed to go out and to lay hands on people and cast out demons, and he came back rejoicing in that. And Jesus, in essence, says, Bill Payne's language, you're getting it twisted here a little bit. He said, don't rejoice in that, though. That's some good stuff. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That your names are written in heaven. And who you are to God is far more important than what you do for God. And I had God had to step to me. You know, there's a lot of strokes that come with young life. There's a, kids think the world of us. They think our doo-doo doesn't stink. They think we've got it all together. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, because we got them fooled. Okay, and, and, and so they, they think these great things and people give us attaboys and attagirls and, and all that stuff is great. And I remember one day the Lord spoke to me. He said, you love what you do for me more than you're loving me. I don't really need you, Bill, but I want you. I, I, I think about that sometimes. When I was the chaplain at Children's Village, and these are lessons that Uncle Bill has learned. When kids were coming out of the chapel, a residential treatment center for emotionally disturbed kids, I went there to be the healer as far as I was concerned, and God sent me there to be healed. God put me in the midst of 300 little me's, and I could relate to those kids, and they could relate to me, and they would come out of chapel, and we would high-five and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord showed me this. He said, when those high-fives mean more to you than it does to the kids, there's something the matter with that because I was just as broken as they were. I didn't realize the mama drama that I had brought with me and God giving me a woman boss. And again, my attitude at that particular time, no woman tells me what to do, even though the Bible says be obedient to those in authority over you. And if I'm the associate chaplain and she's the chaplain, I have to submit to that authority. Amen? Amen. In my Bible, it said, unless it's a woman, and I wrote that in there. Say, neighbor. neighbor. God ain't feeling that. Ain't feeling that. <laughs> Key fight words at Children's Village are these two words. Your mama. Black kids, Latino kids, we know how to go there. Like, yo, your mama's one. And then you get a couple of knuckleheads on the sideline. Ooh, he talking about your mama. And next thing you know, hook it and jab and comes next. Amen? White people don't know how to play the your mama game too tough. <laughs> Y'all be like, your mother. Well, that's not real painful. <laughs> Say neighbor. neighbor. Racial, racial, but not racist. <laughs> now maybe somebody's a little offended by that. 
So we're going to stop right here. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Raise your hand, and I'll give you the opportunity. Say to me in your angriest tone, Bill, your mom is one, and we'll see how you do. Any volunteers? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> It's a cultural thing. Y'all don't go there. Ain't no big deal. You know? And my boss gets in my face for that. Not knowing my baggage, not knowing about my childhood. But she's sick and tired of me kicking against her authority. And she steps to me, and I'll never forget it. She put her fist in her side just like this. And she said, because she was a white woman, what kind of a mother did you come from? Scooby-Doo. Her? <laughs> and I came from two moms, and they screwed my life up, and they're both dead, and I'm still pissed off. How many of you have been angry at somebody? How many of you have been angry at somebody they didn't know you were angry at them? <laughs> you having a good time until they show up. You could be giving this talk, and they come walking through that door right there, and I'm just talking. How many people have ever been down that road? Just 15 of us, praise the Lord. <laughs> How many of us have ever been down that road? Look at your neighbor say, neighbor. neighbor. How come you didn't raise your hand the first time? <laughs> because sometimes we don't really know how to be real in young life. But we want kids to be real all the time. And we're really not real with them. So you can handle them. Kids can handle some of your stuff. So say, neighbor. neighbor. You can tell people. <laughs> about your laundry, but keep your underwear to yourself. Or at least find the right person to share your underwear with. And that day I went out and I thought about that. And these words came out of my mouth. Mommy, wherever you are, I forgive you. Betty, wherever you are, my real mother, I forgive you. Father, forgive me for what I've allowed that to do to me. And a weight came off me that I never knew I was carrying. And sometimes things happen in marriage where we walk around and we hold on to things. Forgiveness is not optional. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor, you don't really have a choice in the matter. Well, you really do. But it's not a good choice. You know, Jesus says how many times, I mean, Peter says to Jesus, how many times I got to forgive somebody? I don't think it's a rhetorical question. I think Peter got beef with somebody. How many times I got to forgive somebody? Seven times? Maybe he's already done it seven times. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. That's not the answer he was looking for. How many of you have ever prayed this prayer? God, I know I told you I'd never do that again, but I did that again. Please forgive me again. Raise your hand straight up in here. Look around the room. Because the enemy's pretty good at making you and I think we're the only ones. And the moment you confess whatever that was, Jesus forgave you, regardless of how many times that you've done it. And sometimes we suffer consequences as a result of disobedience, but there's never a time that we don't receive forgiveness. And so I say that to those of you who are married because it can get real crazy in marriage. And if we get, have things and, we, and, and things go on and we don't ever talk about it, we just bury it and we stuff it. And sooner or later, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Say, Bill, Bill. what do you mean? How many of you have ever been thirsty? How many of you ever drink water from a well? 
So use your imagination. You're thirsty. You go to the well. You can't wait to get the water. You drop the bucket down there. You're cranking it up, and you can hear it slapping around. You hear the water sloshing. Your mouth begins to salivate just a little bit. Okay. But last night, somebody took a doo-doo in the well. Okay. And that O'Henry bar is floating around down there. And if you keep putting that bucket down in there, that O'Henry bar is going to end up in that bucket. And then all of a sudden, something's going to come out that you weren't expecting. How many of you have ever had some words come out your mouth, you wish you can grab those bad boys and put them back inside? How many of you ever said a curse word since you've been saved? How many of you know that word didn't slip out, that bad boy glided out, anybody know? Because <laughs> what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Say neighbor. neighbor. Who do you need to forgive today? To forgive? Just a thought. You know, uh, David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And David went out to fight Goliath one day. And, and, and you know, we all know the story. You can read about it for yourselves in 1 Samuel 17 chapter. David goes out to fight Goliath, and Saul wants him to wear his armor. But Saul was the biggest man in all of Israel. And David was a small kid. And he couldn't wear his stuff, and he says, I'll go with what I know how to use. And so he went down to the brook. And here where some self-assessment comes in. And the Bible says he chose five smooth stones. He chose five. He didn't just pick them at random, but five smooth stones. How many of you have ever skipped rocks? Anybody in the house? You know, Pam and I sometimes on, on ESPN, on, on some of those sports channels, we watch uh, uh, female softball, college softball. I cannot believe the athleticism of some of these young ladies. I can't believe the way that they're able to throw a ball from the outfield. I am, I stand in awe of them. So for those of you who have ever skipped a rock, just raise your hand, I'll call on you one by one. Just give me one thing. Okay, you wanna go out and you wanna skip rocks today. What's one thing that you would do? Somebody. Find a body of water. Find some water, that helps, yeah, okay, great. Somebody else. Flat rock. Flat rock, yeah, somebody else. Make sure it fits in your hand, yes. Somebody else? It's got weight to it. Got some weight to it, okay, cool. He stole your answer. He stole your answer. He's talking about it. All right, so what else? Smooth rock. Who? Smooth rock. Get a smooth one, yes. Anybody else? What about your throwing position? Huh? Low. Yo, you want to get low, and maybe you want to throw it sidearm. Okay, that's good. But you know what? Let's just say you and I go down and we want to find some smooth rocks. And when you go looking, there are the rocks. You only see the top of the rock. And then you pick that rock up. What's under the bottom? Worms. Mud. Worms. Mud, worms, stuff like that. Did you say something? It's a little jagged. It's a little jagged under the bottom. And so I really feel that God wants to smooth some stuff out in our lives. Because God wants to use you for his honor and his glory and his purposes. And he's chosen you and I. He's chosen us knowing all there is to know about us. What is it under the bottom, though, that nobody else sees, that, that we know God sees, that maybe he wants to smooth out? Maybe there's some things in our lives that God wants to clean out. Maybe there's some issues and struggles that we've been having that we can't seem to break loose. How many of you have some issues in your life that you've tried to fix? How many of you still have those issues? Say, neighbor, neighbor. stop trying to do God's job. 
Because the Bible says he that begins a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The only thing God needs from you and I are our cooperation. To allow ourselves to come into his presence and to deal with those things. And so as you go home today, as you maybe sit with your husband and your wife, maybe those are some things you need to talk about. How many of us have drama with our spouses every once in a while? How many of us sometimes the same thing keeps showing up every once in a while? Okay, well, maybe that's a part of our lives that hasn't been cleaned off yet. Maybe there's a part of our where we really haven't allowed God to have his way there. These are lessons that I've learned the hard way. I didn't so much learn them in this marriage, but I learned them in the prior marriage. I learned them in the marriage when in October, the Lord said, go to her because she's not forgiving you for your adultery. It's very difficult to be part of the healing process when you were the one that caused the wound. Amen? Amen. And so I went to her. I don't know why we're going down this road. I went to her and uh, I said, Claudia, the Lord showed me that you haven't forgiven me for the adultery. She said, you haven't forgiven yourself. And at one point she was absolutely right, but not now because I had. And the Lord said, press in on that a little bit. And I said, well, what did that look like to you? When you went to God and you forgave me, well, how did that conversation go? I was not talking anywhere near the tone of voice you're hearing here today. And uh, she says, well, I went to the Lord and I said, you're going to have to take this. I said, that's not forgiveness. You can't give to God to do what he's given you to do. And then she recognized that she had not forgiven me. And we worked through the process of forgiveness and we chose never to look back there again. Because we can't change anything back there. The only thing that you and I can learn from about the things that are back there is to hopefully not do it again. How many of you have been forgiven of your sin? How many of you are still haunted by your sin? Maybe today, because God said if you've ever confessed that he is faithful and just to forgive us, maybe today, maybe some of us need to go stand in front of a mirror and just point at that person in the mirror and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I choose to forgive you. To forgive yourself, to let yourself off the hook. Because when you don't forgive yourself, you're judging yourself. And let me just put it in my language. The Bible says, who are you to judge another man's servant? Because you no longer belong to you. You belong to him. You've been purchased by his blood. But to God and God alone will you give an account. God says, I've chosen not to judge you. Don't make yourself a God over your own life and judge yourself. Let yourself go. You can't undo it. You can learn from it. And God will take it and use it for his glory because you love him now and you're called according to his purpose. Amen? David made some choices that day, five smooth stones, and he went after Goliath. And he took that one stone and put it in the sling and hit him in his head, and Goliath fell to the earth, and the stone sunk deep, and then David went over and took his sword out of his sheath and cut his head off, held it up to the Philistine army, and the army fled away. You know what the moral of that story is? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, and say this with authority. Say, neighbor, neighbor. Whatever, you do, whatever you do, never take a sword to a rock fight. I just want you to think about that, okay? And so here, but David didn't always make good choices. 
In 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, it says, in the, in the spring of the year, when the kings go forth to war. And I want you to know something, folks. You're going to be a, you're in a, you're in a fight. You've been called to go to war. You're really soldiers in the army of the living God. The Bible says to you and I, endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. And he that wars does not entangle himself in the affairs of this world that he might please him who's called him to be a soldier. <coughs> Today, women are going out to combat, and they're in harm's way. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Oh, the ladies are in this one too. So there came a point where David stayed home. Trust me on this. This is one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned. The day you and I decide not to fight is the day you lose. It's the day I lose. And so David stayed home. And then the Bible says, and he awoke from sleep one night, and he went up on the, he went up on the rooftop, and he looked over, and there was this woman taking a bath. She was in her birthday suit. Amen? All scripture is inspired by God. Amen? So here's what God chose to put into the scriptures, and she was pleasing to look upon. She was a beautiful woman. Everybody do this right quick. Take a look at your hair. Most of us have no idea how we do that. But that starts right here. That starts here, and something else happens in a different part of our body. Something started here that night, and it manifested itself somewhere else in David's body. Say, neighbor. Don't act like you don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and he wasn't as spiritual as you and I are. Because if we would have seen her, if it would have been a good-looking man and you were a woman up there, we would have just said, shun the appearance of evil, praise the Lord. I would not put my eyes on anyone to lust after them. That's me. Say, neighbor. <laughs> oh, Bill don't know you that well. <laughs> and so that night, he made a choice that he wanted to sleep with this woman. The problem was that woman did not belong to him and that David already had a couple of wives, but he chose someone else's wife, a man by the name of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite, listed as one of David's mighty 300 men. And where was Uriah the Hittite? He was where David should have been. He was out fighting a war. And one thing leads to another, and ultimately David causes the death of Uriah. In 1 Samuel 11, the last verse of that chapter says, and that thing, I like the way God labels it, that thing that David did displeased the Lord. And there are things that we can do that will displease the Lord. There are things that we can do that can grieve the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. The Bible says, grieve not the Spirit of God. Do not do things that are contrary to what the Spirit is leading us to do, the Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. I want us to think about that. I don't know about the lessons you've learned. I've learned some very, very, very difficult lessons. Before I tell you about that lesson, I kind of feel God wants to go here. How many of you in growing up have had some drama with your parents? Anybody here? Big time. How many of you sometimes still have issues with mom and dad? Anybody in the house? Okay. I want you to think about this. The day we signed a do not resuscitate order for Claudia, we asked them how much more time does she have? And they said 10 days, maybe 10 days. Claudia died within an hour. My son Lance, who was a former Marine, really tough guy, ninja type guy, bad. Uh, 
let's say minute 58 of that hour, Lance goes in the room and he stands by the bed. Claudia's in a state of delirium right now because of the release of toxins into her body from her liver having complete shutdown. And he stands at the side of her bed. Okay, I say this in the spirit of God. Some people in here really have some serious drama with mom and dad. No one raising hands on this. So he stands at the side of the bed and he says, Mommy, I want you to forgive me for the anger and the bitterness and the resentment, his words, that I've held against you since I was a little boy. Claudia comes out of the state of delirium. She looks at Lance and she says, I love you. And she closed her eyes and she was in the presence of Jesus. The last thing he, he ever heard his mom say was, I love you. The last thing she ever heard him say was mommy forgive me. And I'm sure she knew exactly what he was talking about. So I told my sons, if you all got beef with me, let's get that stuff straight. Let's not be waiting for me to be on my deathbed. Let's talk about it now. And so we worked it out. What's your name say, neighbor? neighbor. If you got stuff, yes. maybe you need to work that out. Maybe you need to work that out. OK, so again, the marriage that God has given Pam and I is just unbelievable. Let me tell you what her biggest problem is, as far as I'm concerned. She loves me too much. I don't know what to do with her love. What's your name, neighbor? That ain't a bad problem. <laughs> and it's, it's awesome. She worries about me a little too much. She's concerned about me a little too much. I don't know what to do, but God has really given us an incredible marriage. But we have both learned some hard lessons in life. Here's the biggest lesson I've ever learned. Again, in my first marriage, we began to have drama. The total deliverance from drugs and alcohol made me think I had arrived. I didn't realize all the other stuff that I brought with me. And one day I'm driving home. I'm on the Garden State Parkway. Maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to many of you. I'm on the Garden State Parkway, and this thought comes in my head. And I mean, this thought was like silk. This thought came into my head. He forgave David. For those of you who didn't hear in the back, he forgave David. Whoa. And at this time, I was in an apostolic Pentecostal church. We were like the Shiites of the Pentecostal church. We took Pentecostalism to a whole nother level. And um, I was like, wow. For the first time since I had given my life to the Lord, I was being tempted to commit adultery. The one thing the voice didn't say, he forgave David, but David suffered horrific consequences to his own life and in his family. He left that part out. I had steeped myself in the word of God. I went to a church where you had to read, you had to pray. Not necessarily because you were loving God, it was just something you had to do. And the next voice I heard was a little bit more gruff, a little bit more gravelly. And the second voice said there must be a better reason not to commit adultery than because the Bible says don't commit adultery. And that flew in the face of everything that I had ever learned. You don't commit adultery because Deuteronomy 6.5 says thou shalt not commit adultery. That's why you don't do it. I knew about the law. I was in law enforcement. When I was in the military police, we used to have a, a, a sign on the side of our police cars that said, obedience to the law is freedom. In other words, violate the law, you will go to jail. 
But beyond a shadow of a doubt, I knew that second voice in all of its gruffness was God. <laughs> Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call upon the Lord. He will show you great and mighty things that you did not know. Say, neighbor, neighbor. you don't know everything. <laughs> so I said, Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord said, the reason you don't commit adultery is because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, my soul, and strength, and your neighbor and the person of your wife as you do yourself. He said, it's not about a rule, though there are rules. It's about a principle, a principle of love. And, and that's why maybe 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says the spring, in the Phillips translation, says the spring of our action is the love of God. That we live our lives responding to God's love. How many of you have ever said, I love you to somebody? Raise your hand. Answer me out loud. What is the only thing you wanted to hear that other person say back to you? The whole room says the same thing. You think God is any different? God says, I love you. And his desire would be that we would love him too. But not with lip service, but something really has taken place in our hearts. I wish I would have listened to that wisdom all through my Christian walk. But because I didn't, I ended up one night wanting to commit suicide. And God rescued me. There's an enemy that hates you. There's an enemy that wants to come against you, that wants to destroy your life. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Satan desires to have you, to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. In the Greek, here's what he's really saying. Peter, the devil wants to take all of you out. And I really believe that comes all the way down to you and I. But I prayed for you. And what does he pray? I pray that your faith doesn't fail. The first you is plural. The second you is singular. For the Bible says, for he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is always continually praying for you and I. And I believe that one of those prayers would probably be that your faith doesn't fail, that you and I don't lose focus, that we stay focused in on the Lord. I wonder sometimes if you really understand why Satan hates you so much. Because he sees more in you than you see in you. He sees who you could be if you and I surrender and submit ourselves to God and allow God to have his rightful place in our lives. He sees the difference that we can make in our communities and in this world. He sees us as lights in a place of darkness. He sees us as the salt of the earth. And yet still the enemy says, I want to take you out. Sometimes we get it messed up with, with young life because we play a lot. But I want you to know, and I'm sure most of you already know this, and if you don't, this is not a game. This is life and death business that God has called you into. <laughs> that you're in these kids' lives and they think much of you. Give them a life that if you and I were worth dying for, is not Jesus Christ worth living for? It's awesome. Peter fails the Lord miserably. And he runs away and he weeps bitterly. All it takes is this. And Jesus looked at him. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the look. I wonder what the look looked like. 
I guarantee you, it did not look like this. I really believe that it looked like this. I'll see you in three days. That same Jesus died for you and I that way. That same Jesus calls us to follow. Husbands and wives in here, you've got a spouse worth fighting for. But the day you choose not to fight is the day you lose. Not a husband and wife worth fighting with, but for. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever 